0: Welcome to zero five oh i'm your host bruce bradley founder of recycling company first mile this is our green impact podcast where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world composting provides a safe and sustainable way to process and recycle green garden waste and household food waste this is important for waste management because the uk produces nine million tons of food waste and many many more of green garden waste. If this is dumped in landfills it generates methane which is a potent greenhouse gas, 30 to 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide. There's evidence of composting systems from neolithic remains but today we're going to understand how composting has gone high tech and grown to a massive scale to help us recycle, reduce landfill, capture carbon and produce a sustainable alternative to peat compost. To explain composting in detail, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Kate Stansfield, Commercial Director of Envar Composting. Kate, welcome to 050. Thank
1: you, Bruce.
0: hope I did justice there with my introduction. Thank
1: you, Thank you very much.
0: So, Kate, tell us about composting. Uh, we, You know, lots of us probably just think we chuck it in a pile in the bottom of the garden and, and leave nature to do the rest. But I, I think it's more involved with that. And could you explain to the listeners how you do composting at MVAR and what the processes are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the most obvious difference between what we do is just the scale of it initially. Uh, So we have several composting sites and in total we process about 350,000 tonnes of organic waste every year. So that's food and garden waste, as you mentioned. Um, So the process is basically...
0: uh, In terms of households, sorry to interrupt... How many households is that? Do you reckon 350,000 tonnes? Are we producing a tonne a year or do we know what we're producing a year?
1: I know that food waste wise, for each pickup, we average about one and a half kilograms, I believe, of food waste um, per household. Not sure about garden waste. So 52 uh, times a week.
0: Yeah, that's
1: pretty high volume.
0: Yeah, that is high. So it's almost like 100 kilograms a year of 75 to 100 kilo per household. So, yeah, that is a lot of households.
1: Yeah, obviously we don't process all of that, but a fair bit of it. We're one of the biggest um, composting uh, organisations in the UK. So the process is um, a sort of traditional method, really, called in-vessel composting, or IVC for short, and uh, windrowing. So what happens is the waste comes into our site, um, mainly from local authorities who collect the food and green waste from households, but also from commercial customers as well. Mm -hmm. So it comes into our site. The first process is we shred that material. And then we put it into the in-vessel composting unit or the IVC. So it's basically like a sealed unit where the material goes in there for about a week and a natural biological process starts with all the microbes in the material that heats the material up to about 65 degrees. And that has the process of sanitising the material, making sure that we get rid of any sort of bugs or anything like that. And then after a week, uh, the material comes out of the IVC and goes outside into long rows which are called windrows and whilst the material is outside we monitor and we turn it uh, for about six to eight weeks uh, and it continues its process of uh, breaking down um, into compost and then the final stage is that we put it through a screening process which basically is like a, a big sort of sifting process and it allows us to remove contaminants like plastics and things like that and then that becomes um, our end product, our PAS100 accredited compost.
0: And what's the PAS100 accreditation mean?
1: It basically means that um, it's the gold standard uh, of compost. Um, in order to have that accreditation, we have to um, have a sort of tight audit trail of the material coming in, the process right. itself, and we have to do regular testing to, to show that it's of a suitable uh, quality to, to get that badge of honour.
0: And just probably going back, so the windrows are a sort of almost like an industrial scale garden compost facility they're outside um they're in the elements to give the listeners an idea of scale up at your sort of enormous cambridge site which i've been very lucky to to visit that that, how long are the windrows, and how there's there's hundreds of them
1: there are there are dozens of of rows and i would estimate i'm not quite sure but they're probably um 300 meters long
0: yeah so you've got kilometers and kilometers of these big piles of compost. Yeah, I, beans,
1: I might have you know. got that wrong. but um, I'd, I'd say about off. 300 kilometres. But as you That's say, when you, um, when you look at the site, it's an enormous site. Uh, we're talking about our largest site here, which is um, our Cambridge site. But that is the largest, definitely.
0: And then when the material goes into the in-vessel compost, uh, the, the sort of magic happens where all the bacteria start to attack the food and then that creates heat and then it's sort of a really nice environment for everybody in there. Are those bacteria always present on the material that arrives or is it coming from garden waste or is it on food waste or do you have to put bacteria in there to make sure you get the right sort of biological reaction?
1: So the bacteria comes in on the material so it's naturally present in the food Mm -hmm. and garden waste. And although the uh, process of the IVC does remove some harmful things like E. coli, for example, um, the compost product itself does still have sort of live bacteria in it, but that's part of its uh, benefit when it's then applied to agriculture or used as a soil improver, but it's just um, essentially cleansed, really
0: can you accelerate that process do you add heat to accelerate the process or does it sort of get up to operating speed yes, on its we own do.
1: so um the ivc units themselves are quite high tech we've got um technology called gcom technology which is considered mm-hmm. the sort of rolls royce of ivc technology and each of the tunnels has uh, probes uh, into the material and then we that allows us to monitor moisture temperature and oxygen
0: And it's because that's really important because I've had as a a guest on the show as well the big compost experiment I think the main issue with home composting is sometimes people get it working beautifully and other times they don't because it's just that huge range of what might happen if you don't get the mix in the compost heap right but with the technology you can overcome.
1: That's right. I mean, at home, you just turn it over every so often with a fork, but this is much more sophisticated. And and in in addition to the checks and balances that we have in the IVC part of the process, when the material's out in the windrows, it's also monitored for moisture, temperature, and is regularly turned um, in order to make sure that it's uh, breaking down consistently across the rows.
0: And so if someone accidentally puts a plastic bag in or drops a plate or a fork or something like that, it's interesting that that is coming out at the end of the process yeah, and not the start of the process. And is that just sort of like a basically like a large filtration system that will take out all the large items?
1: That's right. So, um We do a couple of technologies at the back end of the process, as you say. One is um, we put the material through essentially a big screener and we can determine the size of um, particle that we want to um, have in the end product. So we have something called 10 mil soil improver or 20 mil and we can... um, adjust that sort of sifting uh, and screening process to suit Uh, and in addition to that we actually use a sort of hand picking line to actually um, members of staff um, actually remove uh, plastics you know we have aggregates in there sometimes um, knives and forks that people have accidentally dropped into their food waste bin so it's all at the back end that we do that. We are looking at technologies as part of our future plans for front end sorting as well, so that right. there are options around that too.
0: And what's the strangest thing that's come out of this that hasn't been compostable that you've uh, that's that's emerged out of the um, end of the process? Have you got like a car engine or a?
1: I don't know to be honest Uh, I've certainly seen the piles of knives and forks are quite funny but yeah I'm not quite sure if we've had any weird and wonderful things I'm sure we have but unfortunately you know the material coming into the sites does have those you know items of contamination in it and it's important that we remove them uh, to to maintain the PAS 100 standard
0: and you've sort of taken this you know bacteria and I guess it makes sense. It's on. It's on everything because if we leave something out of the fridge long enough, it starts to go mouldy. So you've taken that natural process, but then you've sort of supercharged it with in-vessel composting, temperature controls, windrowing, all this sort of stuff. If a listener wanted to become a high-tech industrial composter, what's the key difference we've made between you know a sort of traditional Neolithic composting facility and? the composting facility of today is it is it temperature is it the equipment that we can move large volumes of material is it shredding what's the what's the key thing that we've changed
1: Well, I think in addition to the monitoring technology um, Mm -hmm. that I mentioned, we do have a lot of plants. We have a lot of uh, shovels, uh, 360 uh, materials, handlers. Um, We have special machines that go up and down the windrow to turn them and check on them. Um, So it's a very sort of um, plant heavy process to, to move such volumes of material at that kind of scale.
0: Um, also, so yeah, so it's almost like that ability to get the consistent material moving through the site as well, yes. because often at home you end up with soggy lawn clippings that just go mouldy and then twigs that are too big and don't do anything. Well, that's yeah, my absolutely. composting
1: Yeah, absolutely. we are able to, to monitor the right mix of feedstock materials as well, so you know we we're lucky enough to have you know the calorific content from the food and um you know also mixed in with the waste green material um so that kind of ability to to tweak the mixture if you like like baking a cake really getting the ingredients right
0: in 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 the introduction i was sort of saying that your process sort of avoids methane and methane comes out of landfill but how this sounds to me like it's a potential to go wrong or generate methane if you've got all of this uh, material organic material breaking down in a hot environment how come methane isn't produced with this process
1: well a very small amount is produced so our current process with the windrows is an aerobic process Mm -hmm. so obviously that relies on oxygen for that sort of breaking down of the material into compost. So the main emission from that process is actually carbon dioxide right? Uh, with a very small amount of methane. But we are in the process of going through planning process, planning permission um, for new technology at our largest site at Cambridge, um, which will be a fully enclosed anaerobic digestion, which basically will allow us to capture biomethane gas and use it for for good purposes um so it's a completely different way of processing the same material
0: right okay so that and that explains why because the current composting process is aerobic not anaerobic and a landfill is anaerobic i.e. no oxygen present which generates methane and if we let that escape we have a problem but generating methane is actually okay if we capture it
1: absolutely yeah
0: yeah interesting and it all sounds quite carbon intensive with machinery moving moving uh, compost around and shredding and sifting but i understand composting is a carbon capturing overall it's a way of capturing carbon how does that how does that process work
1: so um composting has got lots of benefits for the soil so it's very nutrient rich um it helps restore the soil's health and therefore it um, maintain crop yields and it also provides an alternative to peat based products um, and chemical fertilizers it's not as good as pellet fertilizer which i'll come to in a minute and our plans for that are yep. actually locking carbon into the soil Because the nature of the compost is quite light. So when it's applied to the surface um, of a a farm or to um, landscaping, etc., it's not going very deep into the soil to actually lock the carbon in. Right. But as part of the project that we're planning for Cambridge, so it's a 40 million pound project, a really large project. And and in in addition to allowing us to capture biomethane, we will also take the digestate, which comes out of that dry anaerobic digester. And we will mix waste carbon dioxide into it and produce a biofertiliser pellet and that has lots of advantages carbon wise in that it really locks in a much higher content of carbon and when it's applied to to the ground it actually sequesters or captures and locks in that carbon much better than compost so that's the future And that's what we're um, planning to do. And just to give you an idea of the carbon impact, um, the lowest emission chemical fertiliser that's used in agriculture at the moment emits about three and a half tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent for every tonne of fertiliser pellet produced. Yeah. But our fertiliser pellet that we're working with technology partner on producing this uh, new pellet, it will emit less than half a ton of carbon dioxide um, equivalent for every ton of fertiliser. So that's a 90% reduction in carbon dioxide emissions from, from our fertiliser pellet when compared to what's traditionally used now.
0: That's amazing. That is amazing. And, you know, when you get that low, it's almost the potential for it to go carbon negative at some point in the future, which would be truly yes. amazing. Yes. And and one of my questions, actually, sort of half answered it was, are compost prices going up now that farmers, I mean, I, my dad's a farmer, talked to him earlier this morning, and he said, I'm not going to buy any chemical fertilizer this year to put on the land because it just, view is, it's too expensive and see where we get to without it. And with the shortages and obviously the, horrendous problems in uh, Ukraine yeah. with supply chains for chemical fertiliser, are you seeing your prices for your soil improvement compost going up?
1: We are beginning to see a little bit of movement and we've been talking about it this morning actually in a management meeting that I think that that could be the direction of travel. As you say, we're all seeing on the news that YARA, this sort of um, worldwide organisation who supply fertiliser pellets at the moment, are predicting that there's now a threat to global food supplies as a result of shortages in Um, the fossil fuel chemicals that are usually used Um, so I think that it's uh, likely that um, farmers and users of fertilizers will look to products that are not dependent on fossil fuels and and come from organic waste products such as what we produce at Envar so I think it's likely that the prices will go up
0: yeah, and it's also better for food security if we can source a compost and soil additive locally rather than relying yeah, on international absolutely. commodity markets. Yeah,
1: we're onshoring the production, so it's less um, carbon miles associated with bringing it in. Um, and as you all know, the system for incentivising farmers is in a process of transition at the moment from the old um eu common agricultural policy to the new um environmental land management system which will incentivize farmers much more on sustainable practices and moving away from chemical fertilizers reducing carbon emissions that kind of thing so there's a fit there too
0: absolutely and one of the um, habitats that we've sort of um, taken for granted or it's been ignored yeah, peat habitats where there's a massive amount of biodiversity, rare habitats and obviously contain a huge amount of locked up carbon yeah. in the peat. Does your product or any of your products directly avoid harvesting or, I don't know if harvesting is the right word, digging up peat habitats?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So because we produce our compost and we will produce our biofertilizer from waste material, um, we are effectively 100% diverting that material from landfill, and 100% di- you know netting off um, any use of peat-based materials. We're 100% peat-free.
0: It's just I'm loving it. It's win-win-win. I mean, and to, yeah. I, I, I was sort of a bit like the general public and took composting as sort of a bit of a well, You know, anyone can do that until I came out to see Cambridge, huge scale, and you are just delivering so many of these key factors around sustainable development, which is super, super important. Where's the UK positioned? I mean, we're doing really well on things like um, wind power. Are we leaders in composting or is there there other countries way ahead of us and we're adapting their technology?
1: so in answer to your question the technologies are more advanced in europe certainly Mm -hmm. dry anaerobic digestion is commonplace over there but isn't used in the uk so when we'll hear about ad plants in the uk they are what's referred to as wet ad plants which um, process food waste and in some cases agricultural waste but what we're proposing with this dry ad technology that is used in europe is it's able to cope with um, a variety of feedstock materials, so food waste and garden waste and compostable packaging. So at the moment, although some AD plants in the UK take compostable packaging, they they essentially remove it at the front end, and then it it gets sometimes um, sent to landfill or yep. used in um, energy from waste.
0: And the dry process then is that where do you take the material? After it's beat, does it still go through the IVC and through the wind and Then it goes to AD, or is it? Um,
1: so it, it won't go through IVC. So the dry right. AD sort of replaces that system. Yeah. Um, we will still have the material come in as it stands now.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but the dry AD is a fully enclosed system and it has a sort of rotating screw, if you like, running through the middle that turns the material through the process and captures the biomethane gas from that process and then we're going to use heat to dry that digestate down even further which makes it more user friendly for making our biofertilizer pellets right, okay. and that heat is going to come from healthcare waste so we're going to have a healthcare waste energy recovery facility And it's really good because healthcare waste, due to its nature, can't be reduced or reused or recycled and it has to be treated in an appropriate way because it's healthcare waste Um, and you'll be familiar and I'm sure um, your listeners will be familiar with the waste hierarchy that if you can't reduce or reuse or recycle, Mm -hmm. the next best option is to um, burn it for heat. And then the least favorable option is landfill. So this offers um, a way of using that waste material to generate heat, to make a green product And if we didn't do that, we'd have to burn wood or draw energy from the grid, which comes from fossil fuels. So that's how it works.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And then then that goes, then the dried digest it then goes into the fertiliser. So it never ends up in a windrow in that process.
1: So we will still have windrows. So about 50 percent of the material that goes through the site at the moment will go through the new technology. and about 50 percent will still be windrowed and the reason why we're doing that is because it allows us to regulate the amount of material that comes through the site it's quite seasonal um, and by having some of the material in the windrows it allows us to keep the ad constantly moving um so it's quite good in the sense that although we're not yet sort of with european levels of this kind of technology Um, we're hoping that we do get planning permission for this because it is a really good fit with uk government policy right now so um, it's government policy to try and consider ways of creating renewable energy and renewable gases so this will create biomethane gas which we will then use to to fuel our fleet of lorries and what we don't use we'll put back to the grid as a green gas and the government is subsidising that green gas at the moment through the green gas support scheme so it's a a fit with government policy there and then the biofertiliser pellet obviously supports um, government's um, direction of travel around carbon capture moving to the new farming incentive scheme that I mentioned and of course achieving net zero carbon by 2050.
0: It's amazing, and I um I want to come on. You've you've already mentioned compostable packaging. I'm going to come mm-hmm. on to that in a second. Before we do, is there anything in nature that can't be composted, or is it if it's sort of naturally occurring, then it can be composted and it's fine? Because I was I, I, I sort of specifically around hair because somebody was telling me you can't compost hair. or Is that is that just it just takes longer?
1: So we can compost hair, and although we don't have large or even very small volumes i don't think um we Uh, are at the moment for example working with a company who produce compostable towels for hair salons and beauty salons so that will naturally occasionally have hair human hair on those products um, and that's absolutely fine there are some products that are compostable but we're not allowed to compost them so for example we are not currently allowed to compost um, compostable nappies. Even though the technology exists and the materials exist, because it's a human waste, um, we are not allowed to introduce that into our current mix of material because our compost then goes out to land and is used in agriculture. So um, that's just part of the regulatory system around what we do. So, yeah, there are some things that are compostable, but we can't compost
0: yeah, I'm really glad my uh, carrots aren't, organic. Carrots aren't going to be grown in uh, some some waste nappies. That's reassuring. And what's the strangest thing that you've ever had going through the compost facility, Kate? There must, been, there must have been some some wild things that have gone through.
1: Well, I asked the team this morning, and the answer is, I don't know if you remember from the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics in London, mm-hmm. there was a huge mountain made for all of the athletes to come in and the axe and everything and they all sort of walked up this huge mountain and apparently we composted it afterwards and we had to be on standby with 12 arctic lorries uh, and had a very small window to dismantle this you know natural product that was a more natural feature that had been yep. made um, as part of the the arena and then to uh, remove it and take it up to our site and to put it through the composting process so that was a new one on me but I thought that was quite interesting
0: brilliant you've composted a mountain yes um, I, I love it I'm gonna to have to watch the opening ceremony again and did you have to bring it back for the closing ceremony
1: no <laughs> Fortunately, not
0: the thing that I'm really interested in getting into as well is you see it everywhere at the moment, compostable packaging. It's got labels on for home composting, industrial composting. We're seeing plastic cups that look exactly like a, a, a Coca-Cola bottle. There's, there seems to be a huge range, and it's emerging. You've already mentioned compostable towels from hair salons. It seems to be everywhere at the moment. What's Envo's take on, your take on, compostable packaging? Are we are we making life too complicated? We're heading in the wrong direction. Is it looking positive? What's What's happening with the compostables?
1: Well, I think at its highest level, it has to be a good thing because Mm -hmm. if people are using compostable materials, then they're not using plastic-based products that don't biodegrade um, and are sort of made using a lot of fossil-based fuels. So that's a good thing. So we're really keen to not just process the compostable packaging because it's another feedstock material for us, Mm -hmm. um, but also to be an enabler of um, getting that material to composting facilities like ours Um, so at the moment there's a lot of appetite for using these products people understand their environmental benefits but there isn't always an easy way for that consumer to know where to throw it away which bin to put it in and sort of and different means of getting that material back so so we're working with partners like first mile and others to to try and overcome that sort of current barrier really in terms of closing the loop so that um that material can get composted and go back to to the ground in a sort of circular system
0: we get huge amount of confusion and the project we're working on is on a material that can be industrially composted, which is why we're involved in it, because we have to get it back to you mm-hmm. to get it composted. Do you think we should just move and say, accept that packaging materials aren't suitable for home composting? And actually, it's just going to be a lot easier if we have one system, which is we get the compostable materials back to an industrial composter, because presumably you can break it down versus me putting it in my compost heap at home because you're doing it in a much more controlled way you've got the blend right you've got the temperature right you've got the bacteria right in that in the mm-hmm. in vessel and then the windrow system should we just move to industrial do you think
1: i think it's easier to Mm -hmm. process the compostable packaging at industrial scale rather than at home although you can do it at home but we we are trialing different ways of getting that material back so for example envar's been working with our sister company country Star recycling um, on a project in cambridge um, cambridge bid which is the business innovation district Mm -hmm. Um, and as a result of that we've put in bins onto the streets in Cambridge for food outlets and their customers to use to put their used compostable food packaging in so that's new because people haven't seen that before on the yeah. streets of a city um, and there's been a bit of a sort of work around educating those users to know that when they've, they've finished their meal at the, the food outlet they can put that in the right bin and it's going to get returned to a compost site and we've also put in a specially adapted sort of dust cart to pick up those bins and the company that I mentioned earlier that are providing compostable uh, hair products hair towels um, they are also part of that project as well and having their used um, towels picked up as part of that that project so that's quite exciting and then um, we are also involved with another project that's funded by uh, the UK innovation fund To prove that compostable packaging can go through our process is a sort of end-to-end proof of concept. And as part of that, there is one of the trials will involve householders and working with them, giving them some compostable products to use at home and just assessing, if you like, the level of understanding and take up of um, using bins to then put those used compostables in.
0: Fascinating. And just all the time working out how we can get this because it is really very new to see the compostable yeah. at scale. And then things like, I mean, it's probably a bit of a basic question for you, but would you rather have a wooden spoon um, if mm-hmm. I'm in a cafe to, to, to eat some fruit or yogurt? Or would you rather have a compostable plastic spoon? Hmm. Would just now, easier to put. Now, personal
1: taste. I mean, I should say that we can process both if it's compostable. Yeah. Uh, but I personally would rather have a compostable spoon yeah. that looks just... and feels like plastic, but it's compostable. Rather yeah. than, I don't like the feel of the wooden spoons. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but it makes no difference to the to process. It doesn't make difference right. to us. That's just yeah. my
1: personal preference.
0: <laughs> that's good. I'm conscious of time marching on, and I want to. I want the listeners to hear hear about you. I mean, that's amazing, uh, and your knowledge on compostable is amazing, and, and the work you're doing is fantastic. But how on earth did you get to hear in terms of being um, Cambridge's composting queen?
1: Well, thank you. I won't go that far, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the reason I I joined uh, this industry, I actually come from a background in the construction and project management. Um, industry in the built environment and i started to get involved in the last two or three years in projects to reduce the carbon emissions of the built environment so i'm working for for central government and trying to um, improve and retrofit offices for example to make them more um with lower carbon emissions and i really enjoyed that and i just kind of had a bit of a moment um a couple of years ago when i thought actually i need to take my skills to a you know a new industry where i really do feel that i can make a difference to Mm -hmm. to the planet i'm not a sort of eco warrior or anything but you know i would like to leave this world um thinking that i've done something helpful towards um the environment so it was just that really so i'm i'm loving the work i mean it's really interesting yeah. i think it's a really good time for organic waste in particular yeah. um it is satisfying to to link up with you know um, waste recycling getting the maximum yield out of waste products to produce green products is you know it's a no brainer as you said yeah. earlier yeah um so yeah it's a it's really exciting and i love it
0: Brilliant, and there's so many innovations around empowering the circular economy and making sure that we yes. make as much as we can and not wasting things. And what does success look like for you and the work you're doing with Enver, and what's the biggest hurdle to getting there?
1: For me, I would like us to get our planning permission for our new project, because that is the future of processing mm-hmm. organic waste for the reasons I've outlined. I think in terms of the big... Barriers to change at the moment, it is really about getting the right um, participation from people and I think that would be a lot easier if the government would make it easier for people to compost compostable packaging and things like that with the yeah. the bins that they're provided with, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's probably the main thing, just you know overcoming barriers for, for planning and and support and participation really
0: brilliant excellent okay it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show before you go we have one last question which is we have this little thing called the first mile planet saver hall of fame i say little thing it's getting quite big now there's lots of things in it what would you put in the first mile planet saver hall of fame for future generations to have a look at
1: i think i would Put a picture of our windrows in because they do have plastics in until we take them out at the back yeah. end. And when I first saw the windrows, I was really quite shocked that people still, you know, put so many plastic bags into their food and green waste. Yeah. And I would love to see in the future, you know, legislation to stop us doing that. But it was quite shocking, I have to admit. And I would love it if in the future, you know, those windrows and, and anyone, processing organic waste you just don't have that plastic contamination so that would be a picture that i'd like to put in the hall of fame
0: excellent future generations will wonder what these things are in the windrows i like it a lot Kate, it's been amazing having you on the show thank you very much absolutely fascinating learning about composting and um, your knowledge is uh, legendary so thank you very much before Thank we you. go, what where can uh, listeners find you and Envar if they want more to learn more about you, if it's some websites? Website. Yes, yeah, so
1: we have a website, um, envar.co.uk. We also have a website um, about our DryAD project, so that is um, regenerationwoodhurst.co.uk, and okay. you can find information about me on LinkedIn, I guess.
0: Perfect. That is amazing. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really interesting. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I'm Bruce Bradley, and you've been listening to 050, oh, where we meet incredible people creating solutions for a zero-carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: 050.